going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consults RX podcast. And guess what, Cole? What? Our buddy AJ. He has returned. Oh, there he is. The prodigal son. I'm back. It's only been like three episodes. I feel like it's been a long time. AJ, it feels forever. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, it feels like it's been a minute. Is this the first time I've seen you in 2023? Pro- maybe. No. No, yeah, I think couldn't have been. Really? No, I've been, no, no. You've been back in January. Yeah. We'll have to con- consult the previous episodes because <laughs> I don't remember. Somebody knows. We but know. uh, AJ, good to have you back, man. Good to be back. So we're going to be doing, uh, I guess, kind of a weird episode tonight. This, this is more of a... It's a topical it, it's a new. It's a new theme we're doing. It's called Hot Topics <laughs> that we happen to look up today. <laughs> well, uh, was that our patient case? And yeah. And we opted either one's for, good. We but. opted for this because we haven't done something like this yet. Yeah. So we're going to basically touch on a few different things that have been in the, at least the Medscape news and other, you know, those things that send, come out to your email so you can stay up to date. It's um, mainly that none, no individual one of these would have been long enough for a full episode. Right. So that's, that's why If you want to boil it down to its most basic form, yes, that's the real reason we're doing it this way. But uh, yeah, so we're going to be talking about the new blood pressure um, guideline that came out um, from the American Academy of Family Physicians because it's a little bit different than basically all the other for the, except for maybe the European guidelines, pretty much all the other guidelines are slightly different blood pressure goals than this one. So we'll we'll kind of discuss that, and uh, then we're going to talk about uh, something that's been in the news lately called Ozempic Face. Yeah, had you heard about that before today? Yeah, I had. Too. I'd seen a bunch of stuff about that. People were like, "That's why you can't be taking this stuff." Mm-hmm. It's like, well, we'll, do, dis- we'll dispel the myth. Do more looking. Yeah, but uh, and then Cole's going to wrap us up with another hot topic that. Yeah, I, I um, don't know anything about, so we're really banking on him to <laughs> sell at this last the last moment. Well, it turns out that potatoes might not be as bad as you think. Yeah, what's what's interesting about that is I don't feel like I ever was like potato. You can't well have potatoes. if you if you think about all the different things that I could, I'll save it for the end. But if you okay. think about all the different things you use potatoes for in general, we would consider pretty starchy, and yeah. you know we would consider potato chips or fries mm, sure, or yeah. other things unhealthy. I'm, I have, I'm not saying whether it is or isn't. I'm just going to tell you what this article says. We're going to leave so. people hanging to the yeah. end of the episode. Well, wait till the end. <laughs> so, I, don't yeah. know what, I don't know what well, AJ <laughs> AJ just We have a new thing where AJ just shouts out random words throughout the <laughs> episode. Use potatoes for vodka. Oh, oh gotcha. Yes, vodka. Yes. I don't know what you said. How terrible for you. <clears throat> yeah. All right, so. Low in calories, though, right? There you go. And um, carbohydrates if it's straight, right? I think. Pretty much, yeah. Keep out of toxic, though. Well, that is true. There's that piece, yeah. There there is that. So uh, I guess we'll start off with the one that's actually uh, more clinically relevant, I guess. Um, I don't know if we're going to consider it that way, but probably compared to our other two topics. I don't know. The potatoes, we'll see. Okay, that's that's a good point. I read the whole article. I'm actually very interested. That's pretty funny. I'm glad you did because I definitely skipped that one. (laughs) I was like, I'm going to do two out of three. That's pretty good. But but uh, so the American Academy of Family Physicians um, basically released in December a new blood pressure management you know guideline and, and gave a little bit different goal blood pressures than are in the majority of the other guidelines that are available currently. Yeah. Um, what, what was your first thoughts? Cole? Well, you know, traditionally the American Academy of Family Physicians is a little more what's the word conservative. With this, I think they're also more conservative with um, A1C recommendations, or at least more conservative than some. Relaxed, then, because conservative relaxed. makes yeah, it sound okay. like it's strict. You're right, you're right, right. Yes. Relaxed. relaxed. So they're, they're a little more relaxed with they're blood pressure. Chill. They're like the cool, chill. Like the cool guys. They're like, cousin. yeah, we're just primary care. You know, we keep it real, and then we send it to the specialist to get into the nitty-gritty. Kind of oh, don't let them hear you say that. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to be very offended. It's not true. It's not true. But they're, they're a little more relaxed with blood pressure, a little more relaxed with... Um, with uh, American College of Physicians is like that too. I feel like where like A1C goals are more relaxed. They yeah. tend to be more so than like the ADA. Anyway, yeah, I wonder what sorry. that is. Anyways, that my first my first response was like, oh, they updated it a little bit. So they they are they traditionally have been more in line with the JNC8 recommendations from almost a decade ago. Yeah, yeah. twenty fourteen. Cheese. Um, but now they've updated to be not quite in line, but a little more in line with some of the the more mainstream guidelines on blood pressure. Yeah, and basically their kind of summary is that patients who are um, that are with or without cardiovascular disease, so it's not even a difference between patients who are primary versus secondary or yeah. you know, risk you know, stratification, but patients that are adults um, that need blood pressure management should shoot for a goal of less than 140 
over 90 mm-hmm. pretty much across the board. And the patients who, you know, maybe can tolerate it to cautiously maybe consider a goal of one less than 138 or 135 over 95 or over 85. Yeah. Um, which is the first time we've seen the fives. Yeah. Pop I feel, in. It's yeah. the only one. It's like, no, we're, like, not, no we're not going to, we're not going to do 130 over 80 because that's what everybody else is doing. Yeah, we're so different. we're going to be different. We're like we're, odd numbers. We're going to do 135 over 85. So, I, you know, and, but they also immediately follow that up with, but you need to let patients know that there's going to be a lot more side effects with Caveats. it. And I'm like, well, so yeah, anyway, I don't know. So it, it is, I guess all this started because JNC eight, like Cole was saying, kind of had that, Patients under 60 were going to be less than 140 over 90, and then those who were over 60 could be less than 150 over 90. Um, but then it all changed in, 20, I think, 2017 is when the guidelines updated from the American Heart Association, where they started doing more strict blood pressure goals. We started getting the 130 over 80 um, goal, and a lot of that was based you know, on the sprint trial results. Um, and so patients in that study obviously included um, – Patients that had uh, either had um, atherosclerotic cardiovascular disease or at least had a high risk for it. Um, And when they had a more strict blood pressure control, they ended up getting more positive outcomes. And then a lot of the other major guidelines um, followed suit after um, the American Heart Association guidelines came out. So... You know, the the big, I think, initial push, which this happened right away when these guidelines came out, was that, okay, well, now, you know, every single person is now going to be labeled as having hypertension and needing to take more medications, which means we're going to have, you know, way more adverse effects, which they did have more adverse effects in the sprint trial and the stricter blood pressure goal arm as well. But I feel like that's, they put such a huge kind of emphasis on the adverse effects. Um and especially the it, looking at the literature coming uh, from the the new guidelines that were just published in December, they kind of um, basically say that when they did their literature review, that the the trials on average were three point seven years in length. Um, about seventy five percent of the patients in those trials did not have pre existing cardiovascular disease, and um, that basically there was no statistically significant decrease in total mortality. Um, and in regard to serious adverse effects, it was a higher risk um, with the, the more strict blood pressure goals. So because of that, you know, they're, they're saying that there would be no benefit in pushing patients lower, especially patients who were maybe less or at less risk of having a bad event in the first place. So they're a little bit healthier patients. Right. Um, yeah. And so JNC8 before, so this isn't a huge change. JNC8 before was, would say, 140 over 90 for patients under 60, but in the more elderly patients, they left it at 150 over 90. Um, so, yeah, like Mike said, the two real differences are 140 over 90 in some and 135 over 85. The reason they stratify this, so they give a, what would be considered a strong level of recommendation for the 140 over 90 um, in more general um, all-cause mortality reduction cardiovascular risk reduction in general that's what they say and then if you're they say if you're going to shoot for 135 over 85 this would need to be somebody who would be considered high risk for an mi specifically Um, because they say if you kind of dig into the data with their review is that it was primarily myocardial infarction that was benefited by the stricter control Mm -hmm. they they said a 16 percent lower incidence um, with the number needed to treat of 137 over 3.7 years so with kind of like Mike said, what's the potential issue with going too low? Why does it matter? The side effects, of course, but also pill burden. Um, so that's one thing that they reference as a hesitancy. It, anytime you lower the goal and the reason why clinicians might be hesitant to pursue these goals is because they say that sometimes it results in needing to add on extra medication. Um, but we we have um, you know we have studies that that kind of talk about prescribing habits and evidence-based medications and doses that people are on. And it seems like there is a number of things that could be done um, for most patients to optimize, uh, for instance, doses to max out some that, you know, highest tolerated dose before moving on to another or using some medications that are more evidence-based that would hopefully prevent the need to add on an additional medication. Um, Or at least you might be able to remove one like, well, we're not using this beta block for anything but blood pressure. Let's take that off and put on maybe something that's going to benefit them more, lower the blood pressure more. They're not having an additional pill burden. We have more evidence-based therapy, and hopefully they get better outcomes over time. So there's obviously an interplay there, um, 
but I don't think in every case, you know, if you looked at it, that they would have to have additional medication. Yeah, no, I agree completely. And so if, if, uh, Looking back to 2018 and circulation, there was a, an editorial published um, from uh, Dr. Neil uh, Skolnick, I think is how you pronounce his last name. Nice. Skolnick. Um, and uh, basically, it, it's entitled Icarus Blood Pressure and the Dangers of Flying Too Close to the Sun. So I feel like that that's a strong stance to take. Somebody, that's all right. somebody is a doctor, but they want to be a novelist. Right. No, I get I, you know, respect. But uh, yeah, I feel like that's that might be a little bit of a leap, but I mean, you know, some dizziness or going into the sun, you know, was, I feel like I picked, <laughs> I picked the first option, but uh, just to quote some of the things that he discusses, um, he's, he mentions the fact that, you know, the, because not only the blood pressure goals change, but also like the threshold for hypertension um, was lowered. And so the addition of 31 million people in the United States would then be classified as having hypertension that previously didn't. Um, and then the other thing was that basically the, uh, the risk of labeling, which does make sense. I hadn't really ever heard of it addressed in that way, but um, basically saying that uh, if in the, the, he does quote some of the literature, but basically saying that individuals are when they're told that they're sick, they begin to act sick, which I mean, it seems like a huge generalization, but he says, you know, that described in the literature, blah, blah, blah. Um, I, can buy, I can buy that. Yeah, I mean, I definitely could. I feel like that is a big generalization to just say that the entire population is going to be like that. But I, I'm, I'm sure there's definitely evidence to back that up to some extent. Um, but he said this is the the per phenomenon of labeling basically is, is um, concerning because with all these new people being now classified as being hypertension, like how many of those people are going to start basically having a nocebo effect of having issues? Um and so he does say that uh, um, he does quote some studies here where he talks about um, some studies have shown that an increase in um, absenteeism from work and um, increases and uh, physiological distress increases as patients are told they have like a number of disease states or a certain disease state mm -hmm. um, and basically say that there's a whole bunch of unintended consequences for the diagnostic criteria as well as the you know, the patients that are trying to shoot for these lower goals. No, I'd imagine so. And I'd imagine that um, the labeling is in terms of finances, population health with a lot of insurance companies having to pay for new medications the patients might not have been on or follow up visits more frequently that they might not have had to have. So I'm sure there's a number of arguments there. But I think when you get down to more of an on an individual level and saying what's best for my individual patient, then you might look at it differently yeah. than, you know, population well, health thing. And I, I think, too, if because if you look back at, like, the Cadigo guidelines that were updated the um, for managing hypertension in a CKD patient, they actually have one goal systolic of less than 120 uh, yeah. for some patients. and But they have a whole huge section of, a, you know, caveat talking about how are we getting that number, like how are we measuring that number, and they go through how many you know, facilities, not just, you know, patients measuring their own blood pressure at home, but how many facilities do it incorrectly when they check a patient's blood pressure, which I've never, if you were to follow the actual, like, you know, step-by-step -step yeah. outline of checking blood pressure, I've never had right. uh, a nurse check my blood pressure correctly when I'm at a primary care officer or really anywhere. Yeah. I get rushed in from the waiting room, I sit down, and I get my blood pressure taken, and that's that. Sometimes it's over my, you know, it's like, and if it's high, they're like, yeah, huh, look at that. Yeah, <laughs> she's like, okay. Um, so, I, you know, I think that uh, kind of going back to what Cole was originally talking about, like from being more patient specific is one, we got to look at how we're actually measuring the blood pressure in the first place. And, you know, are we doing multiple measurements? Are we trying, is it, we just going off the patient's home blood pressure measuring? You know, there's so many different variables there in and of itself that that can make a huge difference. The patient's using a wrist cuff versus a arm. I mean, like there's so many differences that are using the wrong size. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think if, if all that stuff's not straightened out it, as a, you know, kind of the foundation, then of course you're going to run into bigger issues when you're just throwing more meds on people's right. list. Yeah. I think if you have concerns about the goal, then make sure that the blood pressures are being taken correctly. Patients check it at home to, um, to make sure that there's not white coat hypertension and then make sure their therapies are all optimized before adding something else on, or you will end up with side effects and poor outcomes, which of course there's not, you know, just dizziness and the elderly patients, we get concerned about falls and fractures and things of that nature. But for the, for a lot of people, 
they would be mild side effects even if they did have them. But I, I, I can get on board with the fact that that would affect adherence and all that kind of stuff. For sure. So I guess some, some practical, and you started to talk about these anyway already. So, so some practical things that we've gone over many, many times as far as strategies and whatnot. Let's say you have a patient who their blood pressure is sitting at 140 you know, or 145 over whatever, and we're going to shoot for a 130 or less than 130 over 80 goal. It's a more strict goal, uh, according to the new guidelines anyway, and uh, or an unfavorable goal, according to the new guidelines. But, you know, it, it depends, like Cole was saying, what they're on at baseline. Are they on a tenolol and, you know, other meds that we're not supposed to be using first line, the, you know, to begin with, and then we're just adding on to there? Like, that that's an issue. And I also think that it the, that would potentially take away from the positive outcomes that the lower blood pressure goals could have if you're also on evidence-based therapy to reach those, because we know some obviously reduce the risk of mortality and others have not been shown to do that, or even in, like, a tenolol uh, case, increase the risk. And... Uh, you know, I, I think if you have to assess, you know, for instance, like we talked about at the last episode about um, dosing of lisinopril, instead of arguing about nighttime or in the evening, if you need further blood pressure lowering, just split the dose, dose it on the half-life and optimize the dose or anyway. Um, and so, I, like, strategies like that, switching HGT and dapamide, I think Cole was talking about, you know, the you can kind of utilize some of these strategies without having to just say, okay, well, the patient needs to be go lower, so we're adding on a bunch of medication. So, I mean, that's how I would look at it. I, I feel no, I like agree. guidelines in general are guidelines. They're it's not. that there are so many guidelines, isn't there? Which obviously, this is a reference to very general guidelines for the general population. A lot of the other guidelines we talk about are diabetes specific or kidney disease specific or specific to something else. Um, so these are general, but, um, you know, I guess which one you follow Depends on where or what you practice in. You know, I don't know how they decide which ones that they care about. I mean, we decide based on evidence and whatnot, but I guess maybe you follow, you look at this guideline, kind of like we do for today. You mm -hmm. look at this guideline for a lot of other things, and so you also look at it for blood pressure and just kind of go well, with that. You know? Yeah, I, absolutely. And I think, too, that's why it's so important to, to think of, you know, like you were saying, like individualized patient, you know, the, the patient-specific therapies, but also like keeping up with all of the different guidelines and things like that. Cause yeah, even with diabetes, I pick and choose some of the stuff um, from different guidelines and kind of have made my own sort of, you know, algorithm just based on experiences, I get more of it. And, uh, and so, yeah, I think that it is, that's another case of why it's so important. If somebody's just like, Oh, this organization's who I'm going to go with. And that's just what I'm going to look at for the rest of my career. And it's setting yourself up for not necessarily being able to change and, grow and, ad and adapt as a clinician yeah um the this the same guy that uh was writing that editorial in circulation i just want to <laughs> read this last little uh his quote from the, the last paragraph where he's, he's in conclusion um because he's going back to the icarus poem but uh he says the um the 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 lesson of icarus is that of hubris Okay, don't use words like that. Um, <laughs> too, to, many, to, too much OU. Yeah, words. okay, come on, man. Um, this guy doesn't want to be a writer, I guarantee it. So uh, to be aware of excessive self-confidence. So I'm so, 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 again, it's a weird analogy, I guess. I'm so self-confident in my own ability for pharmacotherapy that I'm giving people medicine. I don't <laughs> care if they give, give them side effects. I know that's not his thesis, but I'm going to pretend like it is. Mm -hmm. um, he says, to be aware that flying too high can interfere with the flight itself. The lesson of the poem is that we should not be so focused on where we are going uh, that we no longer see the suffering of those nearby. Okay, I can get down with that. Um, he says, for us in medicine, the lesson may be that prevention, when taken too far, may cause unnoticed illness of our own making. Mm. Mm. So basically, chronic care management and the whole preventative medicine, I mean... Feel like it's probably causing more problems than we need. Might be causing more problems. Spoken like a true hospitalist. <laughs> <laughs> this, uh, I don't know if he is or not. That would be hilarious. This is a circulation article. Yeah, and, and then the very bottom it says uh, the the views in this article are not necessarily those. Of <laughs> it's an it's an op ed. It's it's, it's an op ed in circulation. Oh, yeah, that's funny. It literally says that in the footnotes. The opinions expressed in this article are not necessarily those of the editors of the American Heart Association. Well, you know, he's entitled to his opinion. Yeah, of course. No, he's probably way smarter than I am. Yeah. <laughs> he, so I mean, he's he's writing circulation. I've never been asked. Yeah, I've never, never been asked been, that even once. Written in there, but Nothing. we can. The great thing about podcasting is we can just say whatever we want about him. And right, no, I'm sure he's nobody great. has to publish. I'm us. sure he's a nice guy. We'd have him on the podcast for sure. No, I'm sure he's a nice guy. Yeah, we maybe just, his his. I don't disagree with the thing he has in there. Yeah, no, it's just an interesting Icarus, take. Icarus was a good documentary. 
Remember? That's the documentary. <laughs> and the, the one about it. Wasn't that what it's called, Icarus? Mm, uh, wrong. Oh, for two. What, yeah, what's I it called? I was going to let you slide on it. But it's, AJ, it's, correct? What is it called? It's like a tale. It's an ancient Greek. Uh, no, no, no. I know, that, the, I know the I original a, story of Icarus. Is there a modern thing? Okay, first of all, that AJ, you've, you've already infuriated me. <laughs> you've been there's back. a movie on Netflix, too. Yeah, no, the, there's a documentary about the, the, the doping um, scandals that was going on with uh, athletes and with cycling and stuff like that. Oh, it sounds familiar. Yeah, I'm like, I, he starts, oh, it's actually Greek mythology. Like, um, was, this a, was this around the time of um, Armstrong? I think it was it was after, after that. much, but they the it was it was to, yeah it was the, the Russian, Russian team. Oh, it was the Russian gotten, team. But it, they had they had uh, they brought up Armstrong and a bunch of other stuff. Performing though, yeah, interesting. <laughs> so, anyways, that that was I didn't mean to go off on that tangent. So that's our take on the new guideline. Yeah, it's 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 whatever. Yeah, it's whatever. It's fine. It's, it's a guideline. It's a guideline, just like all of them. So, so how about this next thing? this next segment brought to you by Nova Norm Skinny? <laughs> it's not, um, but uh, yeah, I heard about this in the news, and it seems like it seems like it. The people complaining about it are like rich people. So, so here's is the thing I don't understand, and I've never understood this. There's this attitude of uh, like I don't want to take, and I'm not saying that every single person who wants to lose weight needs to be on Ozempic or anything like that. But there's a lot of it's getting a lot of attention because one because Nova's pushing it because they know Terzepatide is going to be around the corner for weight mm-hmm. loss and they're going to be screwed. But um, for now, they're pushing some glutide and it's getting a lot of traction. A lot of people are getting really good weight loss with it, at least you know acutely. Um, and I feel like there's always the pushback of people who are like, "Yeah, that," but that's cheating. Like, what? Like we. Cheating performance what? enhancing. Yeah, like well, well yeah, I, I work at T-Mobile. What does it matter? <laughs> I'm not chew my cheating, and I don't understand that that uh, that mentality. Now I get if you don't make lifestyle changes and things, it's going to be hard to keep up with the result. But I don't get where that attitude of like, nope, that's cheating. If it's not hard work, it doesn't count. I'm like, I guess do you take antibiotics when you get sick? That, that might be classified as cheating then. But so, that's my ignorant two cents. So what we're talking about is a is an interesting result of. Um, that people have complained about about taking Ozempic and losing weight quickly, and that is that they they their face appears to be aging, right? Yeah. So some Ozempic face, some call it Ozempic face, but really it's just like wrinkles or excessive skin, and it's a result of it's a the the, the concern was that the medication itself was causing them to age. Yeah. But it turns out that when you lose weight really quick and you have skin that doesn't keep up with the weight lost, then it's going to sag and it's going to look a little bit wrinkly. Uh, and it results in a zipping face. Yeah. yeah, I get on board with what you're saying. This article that kind of brought this, uh, the, the, the reason we're talking about it today, the argument she would make would be that there are supply issues. Absolutely. There are supply issues, and so the medication should be safe for people who would fall in the obesity category or those with diabetes is what she would say. Yeah. Now, I, I, my one pushback to that would be I don't think a lot of people realize that some of the big, like, um, like nationwide uh, shipping company pharmacies can make semaglutide. They they make formulations that basically have you know, are not available FDA approved right. formulations, and then they can um, compound semaglutide. And, and so you would send, suggest the wealthy people get it from there. Well, like the ones that, are, especially the ones that are complaining about access to it and stuff, yeah. and they're willing to pay exorbitant amounts of money. Like all these online telehealth clinics that are doing like semaglutide as far as, you know, for weight loss off label, you know, whatever you want to call it, they're, they're using terms like Wagovi and stuff. It's, it, they're all using the compounded version from those company pharmacies. And so like all of those types of places are getting it from, from that. And so they're, they're, they're charging less than it would be to pay cash for a brand name Ozempic anyway. Mm-hmm. So that's the part where I'm like, I don't know if, if you're having a problem with it, instead of, fighting with the pharmacies to get it to like go to these one of these clinics that can get it you know basically to you is just ship it to your house so i mean and there there's a lot of them i get i get uh spammed on instagram for that like basically daily like and one of them was even pushing like ozempic can't find ozempic we'll try this amazing weight loss medication it's called metformin i said <laughs> okay <laughs> if i paid a hundred dollars for a consult at telehealth i'd be so mad if he's like all right here's five hundred dollars you lose weight because you have diarrhea all day but uh it's just like there's so many options to get access to that that's why i'm always a little confused why so many people are enraged to hell yeah no that's fine as long get. as it's not affecting anybody else from getting it. though i haven't heard like specific instances of like 
individuals not being able to get it, but I'm not in the weeds on that as much. Yeah. I've been in the weeds on that as much recently. But. I've definitely seen like issues with getting it in retail pharmacies. Like I've definitely had. So if this was affecting that, then if it was sure. for cosmetic purposes, that would bug me a bit. But if they've got other places they could buy it from, then yeah, the rich should do that. Well, I do think it's comical that if you're using it for cosmetic reasons that you, it results in you having some wrinkles and that causes some distress. It kind of just, it just kind of makes me laugh. A little bit. <laughs> First of all, cold. that's me. And second of all, <laughs> it, it also is not everybody. So um, it's one of those things that patients, because there's a couple different things that can go on. Like Cole said, it can be rapid weight loss, but also you got to think that you know, your, your body in order to make collagen and uh, elastin, you need protein. And if you're not consuming enough food, you're getting less protein in your diet, which is actually one of the big issues that a lot of people have that are doing like bodybuilding and things like that. Cause they're also use Ozempic to like cut for mm. those type of, um, physique shows and things like that um but the problem is is you can also lose a lot of muscle because it decreases your appetite right and so you're not just cutting out your fats and carbs you're cutting out your proteins and all that too plus you're not taking it so, so you can get the loss of those proteins that you know are involved with collagen production and all that but then you're also there's a potential for dehydration as well so you're not taking in as much food or necessarily liquid if you're just not have no appetite you maybe not you know unless you're one of those people who carries around the water bottle that tells you to drink on the... Don't you have one of those that tells you when to drink at certain times? Some gallon. So. No? You, you, I've, I've seen them. I carry a gallon. Uh, of course you do, AJ. <laughs> Just all obnoxious. You're, you're one of those guys in the gym with and, a gallon of and, water. And it's got like the, the, the colored uh, like um, yellow or blue or like it's obnoxiously bright. So you can everybody knows you're drinking some ne- kind of... Neon some yellow kind of like pow- gallon of water. Yeah, yeah I lift. <laughs> My doctor told me I had to switch to water from the gallon of milk a day I was doing. Oh, my God. You were not drinking a gallon of milk. I did it for like a week. That's disgusting. Put, the, on, uh, put on five pounds. In a yeah, week. I'm sure it was I lean bet. muscle, too. <laughs> Though my, my wife's family growing up, they would buy like three or four gallons of milk a week. Their That's family disgusting. Can put down <laughs> some disgusting. milk. I know it's great. I mean, there's like five of them, but they can put down some I milk. despise milk. Um, you like milk? No. Never, um, never drink I milk. mean, I do not like to drink milk straight, but... Mm-hmm. Give make, me some you mix it, dude. Give me some off-brand, you know, Choco Dino bites with some milk. <laughs> yeah, you start. Right on. You start. You know, like you, you start milky, and it ends up chocolate that's, that's milk better. at the end. It's great. Yeah, that's 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 cool. That's a yeah. good point. I can't eat cereal because I'll just become obese, and then <laughs> I'll need Ozempic forever. <laughs> I'm, but, I um, may or may not eat it twice a day. <laughs> no, that's good. And for you, I, I'm unfortunately it's a guilty pleasure. So old now that my metabolism no longer works. The uh, the other thing, like I said, dehydration obviously can can lead to a patient being more prone to developing quote unquote Olympic face. Um, but it's also older patients as well. So, you know, um, patients that are a little bit more, not, not necessarily, you know, 65 and over, but you know, even forties, fifties would be more likely than someone in their twenties. And then patients, you know, perimenopausal patients and, and menopausal patients where they're getting this drop in estrogen already. Um, they may be a higher risk for having some of that facial sagging wrinkling than, um, you know, a younger patient who's not, um, or pre-menopausal. Um, the, I, there's some people suggesting basically, which I'm, I'm actually, this is where you can see the entrepreneur, uh, kind of lights clicking because some of the, uh, endocrinologists and things that are doing these type of, you know, consultations for weight loss and using semaglutide and whatnot, um, they'll partner with like plastic surgeon uh, facilities that will just do fillers and you just, <laughs> you just battle that Ozempic face as you're going, you have a one-stop shop. Very smart. But, uh, AJ, what are your thoughts? I think we got to consider the role of SGLT2s and other medications that we use regularly. And for weight loss? Yeah, for those that aren't diabetic. I mean, there's hundreds of thousands of millions of pills out there. There's there's a lot of other options we could be taking for non-diabetic and non-obese people seeking weight loss. I think it's the amount of weight, though. That's what's got everybody so excited. The, the easy way out. If if you want okay, that, so those are options for providers. Age is one of those guys. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> for providers that don't necessarily want to provide Ozempic for their patients. Yeah, there are that providers way. who have hangups about them. I mean, I, and I've seen some that are like, well, you can do topiramate or you can do the bupropion naltrexone, the contract. But I'm like, yeah, but people are like Ozempic because of how quickly you lose weight. And because of the limited side effects. Right. Topamax has side effects. Uh, yeah, yeah. I would never take Topamax just because I've seen so many people have that cognitive dysfunction with it. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean, plus it's easy to use the Ozempic. And it's just one of those things that, yeah, it may, I can totally get why the majority of, 
you know, people are wanting that versus other things. I think Trizepatide, once that becomes available for weight loss, obviously is going to blow Ozempic out of the water, I think. But, I mean, people are losing a ton of weight with Ozempic. You can't really argue with that. I think the one thing to remind patients, if you are working with, you know, patients that are dealing with Ozempic for weight loss, um, or semaglutide, I should say, Wigovi is the one that's FDA approved for weight loss. Um, but encouraging patients to, you know, meet, either meet with a dietitian or something that will help, like, change their eating habits, because that's obviously the big issue with coming off of Ozempic is your appetite returns. If you haven't made changes in the choices of food that you're eating, you're going to just gain the weight right back. And yeah. some people gain back even more because now they're like ravenously hungry. Right. Um, and so I, I think that that's something to keep in mind. If you don't establish good, healthy eating and, and exercise, it's, it's not The weight loss is not going to stay. Right. But so yeah. That's Ozempic face. Soon it'll be Manjaro face. Yeah. I like that. It sounds like such a weird insult that, like, if I said it, somebody, like, real angry. Hard Ozempic like, face. Yeah, whatever Ozempic face. They, they would just leave me so confused. Like, I've heard of Ozempic. Why? It makes the no adipose, sense. What the adipose cells, they're like, their their life cycle is 10 years, isn't it? So mm. it takes, like, 10 years for the adipose cells to actually, like, die and, and go through apoptosis. So even if you do lose like all that weight. Like, naturally or even yeah, with? naturally. So okay. if you do lose all that weight, you're, like, shrinking those adipose tissues. But... As soon as you stop the medication, if it hasn't been ten years, the tissues are still there, so they just continue to reinflate. So, but you never really lose the cells; the fat inside the cells goes away. But if you start eating again, you come off of it; they just reinflate. But, but wouldn't I thought part of it is because you're actually like taking like the beta oxidation or whatever, where you're taking fat and converting it into carbohydrate. That's where. It, so it's not just you know creating apoptosis for those um, adipose so that you're actually like. Change like chemically changing them to, to be able to be used as glucose production. Not the cells themselves, but the lipoproteins that go inside. So you're saying the cell itself is then... It's the storage cell is uh-huh. still there. Okay, so I as soon as you saying. start eating again, they're going to fill it right back up. Gotcha. So besides, you know, Ozempic, I guess, you know, the, the all, and you're going to have that same problem with anything. I think it's Ozempic just because you lose so much weight so quick that people notice it. Yeah. But, Do liposuction. Yeah, well, that's cheap, and, and definitely doesn't have any side effects. Yeah, no, no side effects at all. So, no, I mean, I, it's definitely interesting to see how things are going to be shifting. But I, 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 to me personally, I think it's a cool option because I think weight loss is an important. You know, uh, especially in the U.S. is where what is it sixty almost sixty percent of people now are overweight. Yeah, so For those who need it, I think it is important. Yeah, I'm going to give you some coal. See what happens. I might disappear. Maybe it'll have the opposite effect. <laughs> yeah, I just gain a lot of weight. <laughs> Cole's um, just shredded when he comes back on. <laughs> All right, what's up with these potatoes? Yes, so I won't belabor this, but this is my favorite topic of the three. Um, and sadly, I, I do this every time, but I can't log in and access the full article at the moment. But So I'll tell you what I remember about it. But the reason I came across this, and um, I feel like we've been bashing Medscape a little bit today. Um, uh, I love, for, to make the record clear, I love Medscape. Yeah, Medscape has some good stuff, but they obviously put on some like op-ed opinion stuff no, we don't always agree with. So, we'll, so do we. We'll, yeah, we do too, so we'll give you our <laughs> opinion our on it. This one was written by, quote, Medscape staff, so at least I'm not calling anybody out in particular. It's just a very quick article, so I'll give you the, the high points of it. But then they cite um, this article from... Um, the Journal of Medicinal Food uh, that was put out by the Louisiana State University's Pennington Biomedical Research Center. But the the title of the article is Eating Potatoes is Healthy. You would imagine that that's a pretty, like if I saw that, which I did, I clicked on it because I'm like, wait a minute, I like potatoes and I want to be healthy, but generally I consider potatoes unhealthy for all the different reasons that, you know, you can imagine. So, The article says, contrary to common belief, potatoes do not have a negative effect on blood glucose levels and can actually help people lose weight, according to the study, which I was like, hmm, I'm going to take a look at this study. Um, So they put a few bullets of what to know. So they say potatoes are filled with key nutrients packed with health benefits and do not increase your risk for type 2 diabetes, as has been assumed. They say that as a fact. They say people tend to eat the same weight of food. So I thought this was interesting. They eat the same weight of food regardless of calorie content to feel full. So by eating foods that are heavier in weight and are lower in calories, you can reduce the number of calories you consume. Um, They go on to say a number of other things like potatoes make you feel fuller more quickly, that patients who are overweight, obese, with insulin resistance, um, that their blood glucose levels were not negatively affected and they lost weight. And they also said people don't generally stick to diets and you can prepare potatoes in a number of ways and they're inexpensive, blah, 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 blah. So I'm like, huh, I'm going to have to take a look at this study. 
So um, this is why anytime you see any article, especially when it's medical, uh, it's best to look at the study. Because looking at this, I would walk away thinking, hey, potatoes are great. I'm just going to tell everybody, potatoes are great. Let's just all <laughs> eat more potatoes. But that is not what this study says. So it was. it is a relatively small study, though very interesting. There's only 18 patients, and it was over eight weeks. Um, and essentially, they modified their diets to give them a diet that was primarily, not primarily, but a significant portion of it was um, potatoes. And they compared it to a group who had um, a significant portion of pulses, which are basically beans, dried beans, a type of dried beans that you obviously boil, or I think they said lentils. Like I said, I don't have the article pulled up now. What a weird diet. So the reason they did that was because there's been studies, uh, multiple studies, that show that Beans, a, 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 a diet heavy in beans compared to a control produces better glycemic outcomes, um, and then you lose weight, and it's just overall a good thing. And so that's why generally we consider beans to be kind of a healthy um, protein, though a bit, you know, maybe starchy. Yeah, type it's of, still starchy, though. A little bit starchy type of vegetable, but overall in terms of getting some protein and stuff, we consider beans to be healthy. But in general, potatoes are classified as not being healthy because they're high in starch. Now, the, the basis for thinking that potatoes could be healthy is that they are considered um, a, a food that is low in energy density. So what that means is the, the calories to weight ratio is low. So a low, ener a low um, energy dense food is considered 0.5 to 1.5 kilocalories per gram. Potatoes are about one kilocalorie per gram. So as you can imagine, for the amount of of, of weight a potato actually is though high in calories overall compared to how heavy it is is a bit lower so that's why the idea of you know people generally eat the same weight in food so if you can get a heavier food that has a relatively lower number of calories compared to its weight then maybe this could be a beneficial thing so that's kind of the basis for it um the medscape article says like yeah you can pre pre prepare potatoes however you want to and, you know, it's going to be healthier and whatnot. If you look at how the potatoes are prepared. So there's also been other studies looking at the way potatoes are prepared <laughs> and how that affects your glycemic index. And it seems to be pretty compelling that if you boil up potatoes, mash them up and eat them, you're going to have a more significant spike in glucose than if you boil them up, put them in the fridge for 24 hours and then eat them as leftovers the next day. It seems pretty compelling that for sure you're going to have less of a spike in glucose because um, there are there's something that happens when the uh, the gelatinized um, potato is cooled overnight um, where it gets more um, what is the word resistant starches that's what they call it. they call call them resistant starches abbreviated as RS and so they have a higher ratio of resistant starches after they're cooled and those take a little bit longer to digest than if you hadn't have cooled it. So if you look at this article, they compared the bean diet to this potato-heavy diet, but the potatoes had been cooked and then cooled for 12 to 24 hours and then given to the individuals. So that seems like a pretty distinct um, difference between what I would imagine just saying, eat any potatoes you want and they're healthy. No, it has to be leftover potatoes. So they could have titled the article, Eating Leftover Potatoes is Healthy. And I think that would have been just as clickable as eating potatoes is healthy. Now, here's the question I had. Did they serve the potatoes cold? Mm. I'm not going to eat cold potatoes, okay? So they cited four articles talking about how these cooled potatoes have a, is going to have more resistant starches than the freshly prepared potatoes. And it's interesting to look at. But they compared a group of patients or people, well, first it was like the same group, but first they would eat um, freshly prepared um, hot potatoes and they would take blood. And then they would eat uh, potatoes that had been um, prepared, boiled for 30 minutes, quartered, left overnight for 24 hours, and then they would give it to them. Of the four, only one specified whether they were served hot or cold and they were reheated. So I imagine, hopefully, that even in this study, they did reheat the potatoes because who wants to eat cold potatoes? Um, but for sure, I think it seems like cold potatoes might be reasonable. But then hopefully also reheated potatoes might be reasonable. So anyways, you can look through it, and even the data is not super compelling that even if it was leftover potatoes, that for sure it's like 100% healthier or whatever. But there is a possibility that if, you want, if somebody was really liking their potatoes, 
you can tell them, hey, cook those potatoes, pre-cook them, <laughs> put them in the fridge for 24 hours, eat them as leftovers, and you might have, it might be a little healthier that way. You know, unfortunately, from like a, a scientific mindset, that actually makes perfect sense. Well, that's not unfortunate. That's fortunate. It's fortunate for the doctors, but not for the patients. Right. I would right, because I don't want to eat leftover potatoes. But maybe if it's between cutting, like having to do like significant portion control and really cutting my amount of potatoes, or that's maybe true. considering eating leftovers, maybe I'd do that. Now you might ask the question, AJ. How did they prepare these potatoes? Did they do mashed potatoes? Did they do... They leave the skin on? They, they leave the skin on. So they do specify the skin was left on. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, were they mashed is what I want to know. Because I like mashed potatoes versus quartered. And it's, and, or were they stuck in the oven? Were they fried? What they do? So it sounds like skin on, boiled, quartered potatoes is the way that they did it. Leave them in the fridge overnight for 24 hours. And you have a better glycemic outcomes compared to if you mashed them or, of course if you fried them and salted them. So I had the question just looking at the title of the article. Well, can I eat French fries? Can I eat potato chips? And is all this healthy? No, because you have the oils, you have the salts, you mm-hmm. have those other things. But it sounds like boiled potatoes, cooled, uh, and then reheated possibly, quartered with skin on, might be not as bad as the alternative. Did they have a potato salad arm? They did not. But listen, in one of the studies, this is funny that you mentioned the salad, in one of the studies where they were just looking at... Um, how the potatoes were prepared and how that affected glycemic index. One of the arms had potatoes that were uh, boiled, quartered, uh, cooled for 24 hours, and then they added a vinaigrette to it. And it, it actually was like, had a little bit like better results than no vinaigrette, which was odd. Hmm. But yeah. yeah so about the science. Man. That's the a science. literal potato salad. The, the science. It's the, uh, the starches will crosslink at cooler temperatures. And then the enzymatic hydrolysis requires more energy to break down those bonds for absorption. So you technically would get like so it makes sense. Carbs from so that's my, that's that why the that's what the question I had about reheating. So would reheating just undo the whole process? It wouldn't undo it, but it take away from the energy required for your body. So pure cold would probably be better than reheated, but maybe reheated is better than fresh. Right, like water. When you drink cold water, it takes more energy for your body to absorb it. Right. Yeah, no, that makes sense. That's why I always drink scalding hot water. Yeah. <laughs> you know what, what's crazy about that? If that's the like the takeaway is like in order to eat these potatoes to the quantity that people are insisting that are willing to do all this, you have to eat cold potatoes and you do all this preparation. I'm like, yo, we got to get you new food. Like yeah. that's that's the moral of that story. I don't you know, like potatoes too I much. I do really like potatoes and they specifically used white potatoes or um I guess russet potatoes. But they do look at uh, there was another study where they compared different types of potatoes or potatoes and things to see i didn't look much into that but they they even have looked at that and how that affects um, glycemic index were the patients in the study you're talking about the newer one was it were they um were they patients with diabetes or so pre-diabetes in the um uh uh, the trial with the beans versus control Mm -hmm. it was specifically diabetes patients where they showed better glycemic outcomes weight loss insulin resistance with the beans versus control in this one it was um ob not obese but overweight greater than 25 bmi with insulin resistance that they looked at that they found with a homa-ir test or something i didn't look into what that was but they they were supposedly classified as having insulin resistance and being overweight and they actually lost weight in both groups, which you can imagine would happen because they have people preparing the foods. It's almost like being yeah. on a diet. But, oh, oh, I mean, if I have a personalized chef, I'm going right. to lose weight. Exactly. But, if you, but, the, but at least the main takeaway is that compared to the beans, with both groups having prepared meals, that the potatoes did not have worse and outcomes. So what's funny about that is it, and that makes complete sense to me. Because everybody assumes, like you said, beans are like more healthy because they've been compared to placebo. I'm, I pulled up a couple examples. So when I'm talking to my patients with diabetes, I, I use calorie king if I'm trying to assess carb content of certain things. So um, refried beans that are canned, basically uh, one cup, you're talking 39.1 grams of carbohydrates. does have 13.4 grams of fiber, so some of those carbs are complex you know carb fiber and there's also 13.8 grams of protein which is nice but still 40 grams of carbohydrates but even then that's not outrageous even for someone but that's why it's specific that's why it's specific it's important to specify because these were um, dry beans or lentils okay not fried so pinto beans would that count um I, I guess what what is a dry bean like a I don't know. Do, can can you is a if it's in a can like with liquid in it? Is that not a dry bean? I think it technically would still be a dry bean. Okay, 
So as long as it's not so, fried. So I'll pull up lentils then. So boiled lentils, um, one cup, you're talking 39.9 grams of carbs, so it's even more carbs, and then 15.6 grams of fiber. 17.9 so grams of fiber. Fiber you know. counts, though. So another, yeah, yeah, it does. The fiber does count. And so what they did was the way that they prepared the meals was in a reasonable fashion, carbs to protein to fats. And so they weren't having – so it is obviously always about um, – Portion control. Yeah. So they didn't have excessive portions of carbs or anything. So it was like an equivalent amount of carbs from beans versus an equivalent amount of carbs from potatoes. But what you're saying is beans aren't necessarily just like like yeah. greatly healthy. Well, and just to give you some comparison with potatoes, and th- this is like a you know raw potato that has the, the skin still on. Mm-hmm. One, uh, one cup of like diced up potatoes would have 26.2 grams of carbs and only 3.3 grams of fiber. So it makes sense that obviously there's, there's less complex carbs in here, but there's still less carbs overall. And if you're still eating a total of one cup for a consistent period of time, well, you're getting less carbs. So it right. seems like it would be, yeah, it would be less... Things. Plus, there's less fat in a potato. There's only right. 0.1 grams of fat in that one cup versus um, like with uh, where's the lentils. Um, with lentils, uh, the, those are really the lean as well. But the uh, refried and pinto beans, I mean, they're going to have a little bit more. Um, I think uh, refried probably is the most, 2.2 grams. So, I mean, they're, they're going to have a little bit more fat content. Um, yeah, I feel like that's that makes sense that potatoes did better. Um, it's interesting, though, because or they're equivalent. Or yeah, um, but there's a there's a Medscape article from 2015 that I found with this really in depth Google search that I just did while Cole was talking, and the title of this one is "Potatoes Tied to Higher Risk of Type Two Diabetes." <laughs> French fries are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> now that's a title. It's amazing. But uh, yeah, their I their think... whole breakdown was, and they included like 17, no 70. Um, it was a, basically a cohort that they were looking at, um, combined data from three cohorts, studies seventy on 70,000-plus women from Nurses Health Study, Nurses Health Study 2, um, and then men from the Health Professionals Follow-Up Study. Yeah, and, I think that um, 70,000 is a little more than 18 that was in this study. Yeah. I, I think I'm glad you pointed that out about the beans because I think what I ultimately take most issue with is the fact that, apart from you, most people – even if you're like looking up like healthy eating would consider beans as healthy that's usually included on more of like the healthy diet spectrum and potatoes are almost exclusively included on the less than healthy spectrum so i think they're both kind of middle of the road just depending so i, I think the, that's good i think it's that. alpha glucosidase that the starches are not built the same kind of like michael saying the complexity of them the 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 fibers will still try the alpha glucosidase that we produce will still try to break down those fibers, but can't. So they're pretty much just like, they're distracted in the GI system as they go through the, the, the upper, what is it, the small intestines. Mm-hmm. I was going to say the upper intestines, the small intestines. It's the, it's the first intestines. <laughs> yeah, the, the first one, but they're like distracted or, or they're not being able to act on the other carbohydrates. So it's kind of just like taking away, it's like a negative carb almost. And that, that's relative still even. Yeah. It's not healthier by any means. Did you call him Michael? I will now. It sounded, like, it sounded I like you did. Michael, Michael, I what thought you he did too. It? I was like, are you my wife? <laughs> Am I in trouble for something? That's, that's when I get called Michael. I said Mike. Either my mom or my wife's yelling at me about something. Um, no, the, uh, I, I mean, it's, it's definitely interesting. And I feel like my, my thing when I'm talking to patients is like when they do like baked potatoes, for example, I always tell them, yeah, good, go have one. But just put that in your carb pile. Yeah. The big thing is, and just also what do you yeah. put on the potato? Cause yeah. especially here in South Carolina, yeah. you got to check that because yeah. people are like, Oh, I have a baked potato. I'm super healthy. And you're like, yes, yeah. they put on oh, and it's, and it's the, the most loaded you could. Well, ever that's get. how I like, I mean, everything but sour, you know, cheese, butter, salt, bacon bits. Woo. <laughs> you know, I don't Brown even sugar. care if it's tr- like, dude, those better not cost extra. Well, pff, well, you make it yourself. Well, here, and Anna, and well, of course I didn't make it myself, but Anna likes to make actual bacon and then bit them onto the. Oh my god! Oh, I'm like that amazing. is extra. You guys spend too much time. I'm good. fine with buying the store bought bacon bits in the bag. That's I got fine over. with me, and I will eat them straight out of the bag. I'm, I'm fine with leaving them in the bag too. <laughs> I do yeah. not like bacon on a potato. Oh man! I like a bacon little on... thing of butter, and that's that. Maybe some sour cream. No salt. No. I don't, put, I, don't, dude, I don't put, dude, I eat the worst, like, bland food you could ever imagine. We know. It's bad. We know. I don't see I'm nothing. not a bland if you guy. Want food, if you have... want me to cook anything, you don't, you're not going to like it. I'm a salt, I'm a salt fiend. It's, I am. It's not good. Uh, we'll get you started on some amlodipine. Just, you pre- preventatively. Just preventatively. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of interesting. I, um, it is funny, though, because I was literally, uh, 
saw that the other morning, like walking up to the to, to work, and I was yeah. just, you know, just looking at stuff through my emails, and I saw the same thing. I was like, potatoes, yeah. hell? and I, of course I clicked it. Yeah, it doesn't. It's funny because we just just talked about it forever, and it doesn't mean much. It's not like anybody's going to change much about it, but I still thought it was interesting. Yeah, no, it was good. I could tell. I could see that this was most passionate. I feel I like you've been about. It's mainly the uh, as I was. Re- it's mainly the fact that one, the Medscape article did not point out that they had to be cooled overnight, but then also the idea that you could cool them and there might be some benefit to it. Yeah, that, I is, that, was that is good to point out all around. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yep. I didn't click it because I knew that already. <laughs> Thanks, AJ. Yeah, cool. Well, we educated everyone but you. Except AJ. I eat who is, who every is, day. Do you really? Every day. Literally every day. Yeah. You didn't have any potatoes. Oh, I guess your french fries that you had when yep. you got here were potatoes. Yep. That makes sense. But they're a Chick-fil-A, so they're healthier than most I don't regular know. potato mm. fries. According yeah. to this article from 2015, when french fries Anything worst. in a waffle shape is healthier. That's why waffles are healthier than pancakes. Exactly. That's <laughs> true. For that. No, it's not. I was going to say, I feel like there's not a study <laughs> that proves not. that. It's <laughs> those... on the uh, Prevagen website. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Brought to you by Prevagen. <laughs> Anything else, boys? That's all I got. Good. All right. Um, well, I guess uh, that'll conclude this first episode of uh, what's happening now in, on our Medscape emails. But, uh, yeah, so thank you guys for listening. I hope that uh, wasn't too all over the place. Um, I was. I enjoy stuff like that, though, because it's less uh, – I feel like it's less serious. Yeah. Not that we're ever that serious, but I feel like we can really – Yeah. You know, whatever. Anyways, thank you guys for listening. Um, if you do want more serious and structured uh, lectures, obviously check out the Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash coreconsultrx. Uh, the link will be in the show notes. If you have any questions for the three of us, you can reach us in the emails that are in the show notes, or you can reach us on any of the social media platforms. Um, send us a text to the number in the show notes as well if you want to do that. Um, I have a few people that I'm still – I need to respond to tonight so again if, if we don't answer you right away uh, i promise we will get to you as quick as we can um but uh maybe not as quick as we can but as quick as it's like con- as quick as convenient yeah, yeah, yeah there you go uh, i'm just trying to keep it honest <laughs> and, uh, we're not gonna let it stress us out right um I, know, I do sometimes i'm just like oh no they're not gonna listen to us anymore uh but uh if you guys have anything let us know we'd love to hear from you and um yeah we will see you guys on the next one have a good night